HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The I'm your host, Damon Bolte, and in the studio today, uh, I'm really happy to have first-time uh, guests for the, the Speakeasy, uh, the proprietors of The Dead Rabbit. I've got Sean Muldoon and Jack McGarry. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> great, great. Hi, thanks for making the trek out here on a weird, rainy Brooklyn day. It's like we had two weeks of summer, and now it's fall again. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Uh, yeah, so thank you for being on the show. I'm glad that we could make time to do this. Uh Especially, you guys are you guys are constantly busy uh, with the Dead Rabbit, and you guys are con- I mean, mostly probably polishing all of your awards and trophies for <laughs> having one of the best bars you know yeah. in the world. Um, but, sorry, I, I, that was kind of <laughs> shitty. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, you guys have been really just killing it. Uh, it's been uh, no pun intended because it's called the Dead Rabbit, but uh, it's uh, it's been what fourteen, fifteen months now. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a very young place, but uh, with already uh, so much has happened for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how do you, I mean, you guys must be on cloud nine with the place, right? Do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, um, we're delighted with how everything's going, but um, we've learned uh, before we opened the bar, we were here for two years, and we had a tough in New York before we opened the bar, you know, so we understand that... Uh, you never take anything for granted in this city. That's true. Every day is a new fight. And uh, so every day we wake up, we constantly think of how do we make the place that one bit better, you know? Yeah. I would say it's not a vacation town. Certainly not. No. Yeah. And I don't understand people I, I was take just vacations in, uh, here. I was just in San Francisco and that, that felt like a vacation. <laughs> I'm sure. Did you get to uh, do the whole like food and drink tour? I mean, like, you probably just went crazy there. I usually do. When I'm in San Francisco, I go crazy. Just... Yeah. Well, I spent a lot of money for sure. <laughs> so... All right, so you were two years before Dead Rabbit opened, but the whole time you were before Dead Rabbit opened or before you started working on Dead Rabbit? Um, so we've been working on Dead Rabbit for the guts of four years. Um, we've only opened, as I say, 15 months, but four years. So 
was that two and a half years before that we were constantly thinking about the dead rabbit um, constantly researching we were going out and looking at bars I mean we were in New York I've been in New York now for three and a half years so um, for the two and a half, two years before we opened um, sorry the two and a half years before we um, all we did was research other bars not just cocktail bars but um, pubs every every sort of bar that we thought there's something there might be something in that we, and all we did was we cross-referenced we uh we both went out and seen places. We thought what was good in a place and took, hopefully, the best of what we've seen and put it into one bar. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on with the place, I'll yeah. tell you that much. And that's that's really cool because, I mean, to me, you know, a lot of people will focus on, like, one, like a, a pub or a cocktail bar or, like, a dive bar or a restaurant bar, you know, like, and they'll do them separately. You've kind of, like, taken all these ideas and put them into one really big, badass package, Well, I'm gonna, is rare. I'm going to, I know Jack's probably going to want to talk here, but I'm going to quickly talk about this. Um, we both came with a very clear um, thing in our heads that we wanted to create an amazing pub and an amazing cocktail bar. And the one thing that... Um, the one advantage we have is that Jack concentrated 100% on the on the cocktail bar element of it, and I concentrated concentrated 100% on the pub element of it. So um, we had two different. We had re- I was researching pubs more than cocktail bars, if you know what I mean. And Jack yeah. knew knew what he was doing with cocktail bars. So, um, but we took the ideas from the bar we ran in Belfast, which was the Merchant Hotel. That was what our cocktail bar upstairs was based on. And the bar we drank in in Belfast was called the Duke of York. It was an Irish pub with a massive Irish whiskey collection, and we based everything on that downstairs. Nice. Yeah, it's the with particularly with the cocktail arena as well. We wanted the we've been to a lot of cocktail bars all over the world, and sometimes they're quite stuffy and like you don't yeah. feel like you can you can relax in it. So a big part of what we were trying to do, not only in the tap room but also in the parlor in the cocktail bar, was to have that same kind of comfortability with with that uh, world class kind of cocktail product. So that's something that we think we've 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 achieved. Yeah. You know, so so let's let's actually take it back a little bit. Um, what. Let's let's talk about like what got you into bartending and like wh- how you got so obsessive about you know this really amazing bar. Like, where did it all start? Who wants to go first? <laughs> His starts before Mike, so he can start. <laughs> um, so I've been in bars um, for twenty one, twenty two years now. Um, I basically got into bartending because I wanted to travel, and I was really interested back then in music and stuff like that. I wanted to make my own CD. And I wanted a, a job that could would offer me the opportunity to travel and save money. So my whole idea was to go to Scotland to work in a hotel, save up some money, write some songs, come back to the world and be a famous rock star. And um, some things. So the whole time I was bartending, it took me like from 1992 until 1997 to get to this point where I had a CD and I had all that stuff. And something happened um, that sort of made me sort of temporarily well. It ends up permanently put the CD on hold and uh, concentrate on bartending as a career. And there was a there was a, a defining moment that happened in my life, and it was drawn about as I say early 1998. I decided I was going to take bartending very very seriously. Up until that point, it was a means to an end. It was a student mentality. Sure. And um, I set out in 1998, and my whole focus was if I'm going to do this, I want to be the best in the world at it. And I didn't even know what that meant, but <laughs> but. I wanted to be the best in the world of it. Yeah. And um, it was basically, as I say, my whole early days was uh, getting into, uh, I wanted to do it for music, and I wanted to do it because it offered me the opportunity to travel and save money, but then something happened. Uh, the reality kicked in, and it was like, you've got to get a job, you've got to do something here, and I took it seriously. I mean, I think 
because I'm also a musician and, and a bartender. And I, I think, I mean, I always make the connection between the two of them. They're both, in my, in my opinion, they're both art forms. You're also communicating a message through, like, if you if you're bartending the right way, you're communicating a message, right? Same as writing a song. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you get to travel. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes in a plane, sometimes in a really sneaky van. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's great. Cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was uh, basically when you're younger in uh, Ireland. I'm sure it's the same over here. You're constantly asking your mommy for a land of money, but mm-hmm. you never you never pay it back. Um, so it was getting to the stage where I was 15, 16 years of age, and my mum was saying, I'm not lending you any more money, you have to go out and, and uh, fight, for your, fight for your own money. So that's, I started working in a bar collecting glasses, um, and I was, it was with my cousin, uh, who was called Sean as well. So I started following him around bars that he was, uh, he was running, and uh, I bought, it was a fortunate kind of series of events that led me to, to Sean, but there was a guy who worked with... My cousin Sean, and then he went on to open a bar and uh, or run a bar in Lisburn Road of Belfast called Tattoo, and then that's when I came across a former pupil of Sean's called Kieran Bring, and this guy was doing all this amazing fancy cocktail stuff, and uh, I was in that period taking a year out from uh, like my studies, and then I seen what this guy was doing, and then it was basically my the way I was brought up as a kid was if you're going to do something you give it a hundred percent, and I heard about this guy Sean Muldoon and all this amazing stuff that he was doing in the very very early days of the Merchant Hotel. And uh, I, I too, anything I, I do, I want to be the best in the world at it. So when I, I heard about what Sean was doing, I felt like there was somebody else out there fighting the same type of same type of fight. Um, and I wanted to go and learn. Um, so that's that's when I went to the merchant, and eight years later, me and Sean are, are opening uh, own the Dead Rabbit. So it's amazing, man. Um, where was it? Uh, were there any other resources? I mean, like, were you guys? Because I felt like when I first started. Mm-hmm. Getting into bartending and learning about like classic cocktail. Well, I was, I was kind of like studying before I got into bartending, yeah. even. But um, I found that like the best resources were other bartenders. Yeah. You know, there weren't. I, I mean, there of course there were all kinds of classic cocktail books that I was like looking at and things like that. But like you, you can't really like learn just from the books. You've got to like learn from other people, right? Well, that, that was a beauty. Another thing that Sean was doing at the time with uh, a friend of his called Stephen Patterson. There was this thing called the Connoisseurs Club. Um, because the merchant was, there was no cocktail scene in Belfast. It was the Merchant Hotel, and that was it. Um, still, pretty much to this day. Um, but this connoisseurs club initiative brought speakers from all over the world. Um, like everybody, I'm sure that they've probably been on this show um, have have been in Belfast talking, talking to our staff and talking to the clientele, and that was a big, big uh, inspiration for for the both of us. But I'm sure you can talk a bit more about it. Connoisseurs club. Yeah. Um, it was basically set up. We had a. It was a. I was in a bar in London called The Player. It's owned by the guys at Old Milk and Honey over there. And they had a little section on their cocktail menu um, that was called In-Flight Upgrades. And In-Flight Upgrades was like a, you had a classic cocktail, say 10 classic cocktails, like a daiquiri, a cosmopolitan, whatever it was. And you started off at economy level, which was the regular house spirit. And then you had uh, super class or club class, or whatever it was called. And it was three different levels. And the cocktail went up in price depending on the quality of the spirit being used in the drink. And I remember thinking, I really like that. So I took the idea to the merchant, and um, we called it the Connoisseurs Club. And the difference between ours and theirs was, we didn't call it in-flight upgrades. Obviously, we called it Connoisseurs Club, but we had a it was silver, gold, and platinum levels. But the platinum level was ridiculously priced. It was like literally the most expensive cocktails on the planet. And uh, we did have 
the most expensive cocktail on the planet at the time, the, the, which Mai Tai. Was the original mm-hmm. Mai Tai. Right. But it was part of this connoisseur's club thing, which was offered at the back of our cocktail menu. So our general manager of the hotel said to me one day, we should actually have a connoisseur's club where we invite people to come to the hotel, we'll put them up, and uh, the whole idea would be to educate our staff as to what they're selling when it comes to these expensive spirits and educate our customers as to what they're buying. And that's how it started, uh, a little conversation. We started to get together, as I say, with Stephen Patterson, a friend of mine back then who worked for a, a local drinks company. Um, he got the guys over, he paid for their flights, we put them up, we paid for their food, and they also they also paid for their drink, the, the alcohol, whatever they were using. And um, we started this club, maybe to 20 people, and uh, it was the first Monday of every uh, first Monday of every month. And we done it for 13 months, and we got some big names in. We got Sasha Petrasky and people like that, Salvatore Calabresi, all these people. And then what happens is how, how it becomes bigger is a, a little secret out there, it's, uh, talking about awards and stuff like that. Um, we were we were all about awards. We wanted to win awards. We wanted to be the best in the world. Remember, I'd, I, I, I had this thing. I wanted to be the best in the world, and I didn't know how to be the best in the world. And all I wanted to do and all Jack wanted to do was to prove to the world that we were the best, and we were from Belfast, and nobody from Belfast ever won these type of awards. <laughs> and um, so we were winning a lot of UK awards and stuff like that, and I put us forward for Tales of the Cocktail. And... Um, we were in, it was 2008, we were up for three awards and we lost all three. And uh, it was the year of milk and honey over here in New York. And I remember contacting a couple of weeks down the line, the adjudicator who was Simon Difford, and I asked him, like, where did we go wrong? How did we not win? Blah, 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 blah. I wasn't being a sore loser, I just wanted to know how we possibly could win. And he said to me, listen, the reason, you're from Belfast. He says, these bars are New York. He says, everybody knows these bars. These bars have been around for ages, he says, and... These are American awards. They want to reward their own before anybody else, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, so he says the best thing, my best advice to you would be, he says, uh, you've either got to bring your bar to people or bring people to your bar. See, the judges and stuff like that, he says, you've got to get those people to your bar or bring your bar to those people. And uh, this made me hank and he said then, um, my advice to you would be the Connoisseurs Club thing you do instead of having a local brand ambassadors who are easy to get. Get some drinks coming to come behind you, put a lot of money in it, and get the right people over, get all these judges over, and let them see your bar and blow them away with all your stuff. So this was like a, a eureka moment in my head, and I thought, right, we're going to do that. So the, basically the, the whole thing of the next year was that we're going to get all these Americans over to the bar, and um, we're going to get them maybe three or four times, and forget that once a month we're going to have a, one big event every couple of months, and it's, it's going to be an American guy that comes over. And hopefully next year we're going to win. So the following year we won three awards. <laughs> yeah. And that's the secret. <laughs> that's the secret. That's amazing, man. Um, well, and, and also then after that, of course, you uh, uh, took the other advice too, which you brought your bar to the people over here too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we should definitely dig into uh, how you got that going and what it, what it all means, man. <laughs> all right. Back in a few. Today's program was brought to you by Rolling Press. 
Rolling Press is a family-run digital and offset print house that brings together eco-friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Using environmentally responsible papers, non-toxic inks, and wind power, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and mindful sustainability. Rolling Press offers advice on reducing paper waste and energy consumption, helping you save money and minimize your carbon footprint. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy, and in the studio today I have the folks from The Dead Rabbit. I've got Jack and Sean. We've been talking about uh, basically their start getting into the, the bar community and how they went from no awards with the most expensive cocktail in the world to sweeping three and then continuing on the steamroller of success. And we talked about the, the Merchant Hotel and... and uh, I've, I, I had always read about it, and I've never been to Belfast or to the Merchant Hotel, but I, it's one of those places it's like it's on my list. I got a, lo- I got a long list. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so let's get into the Dead Rabbit. I mean, we started off the show talking a little bit about like the idea of like the, the pub. Sean was taking care of the pub idea. Jack's doing the cocktail idea. And then, I, I'm like, first of all, let's talk about the name. Give us some insight to that. Because it is very is very New York centric. Like we were talking about bringing bringing the bar to New York. <laughs> so uh, as I say, we had the, it's good that we finished off talking about the Connoisseurs Club because what we the whole idea behind the Connoisseurs Club was to bring all these Americans over to the bar, these celebrity bartenders, the Deal de Groffs, the Audrey Saunders, the Deal, uh, Dave Warnriches, these type of people over to the bar. And the whole idea was I would get them there and then Jack would be the bartender that was blowing their minds behind the bar and doing all this dazzling, wonderful stuff. And um, the whole idea was that they would go back and uh, basically spread the word like the the Irish coffee was spread in San Francisco back in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was that whole thing. We wanted Americans to talk about the bar. But to our amazement, these Americans that came over, they hung about our bar. They sat and watched Jack make his cocktails when all the other bars were closed. But during the day when all the other bars were open, they drank in a bar called the Duke of York, which was the pub up the street that had the massive Irish whiskey collection, because that's where they felt at home. Yeah. And it was this thing me and Jack were going through our heads, like, why are they drinking up there? Why are they not drinking here? Even though we drank there, it's like we've brought them all the way over here and they're drinking in that pub. And then when the idea was put together, it was one of our regular customers that actually seen that we were bringing all these big names to Belfast. He said, listen, you guys have gone as far as you're going to go in Belfast. He says, like, there's nothing else for you to do. What are you going to do? Win another award? He says, like, it's time to branch out and do your own thing. And he says, would you come to New York? He was based in New York. He was Irish, but he was based in New York. And he says, well, if you're going to come over, you've got to come up with an idea that nobody else has done. So me and Jack looked at this. What, what was happening in Belfast? We had this fancy, fancy, beautiful five-star cocktail bar. It was all table service. And then we had this pub where everybody all, that we brought over was drinking. And so we thought, listen, if we're going to create a pub that nobody else is doing, we've got to bring that Irish thing together with the cocktail thing that we do. And that's where it started. It literally started from the bar we worked in and the bar we drank in. And then we looked through, literally, uh, we were looking at a period of time in New York history when, because we knew we were coming to New York, obviously, and when something Irish and something cocktails were coming together. We knew that Jerry Thomas wrote the first ever cocktail book in 1862, and he was in New York, based in New York. We knew um, there was a famine that happened in Ireland between 1845 and 1851. A million people came through the gates of what was then called the Port of New York, which is now called the South Street Seaport. So we knew there was a, a connection in New York in the 1850s, 1860s between cocktails and, um, and Irish, something or other. And then we were looking for an area. 
and we realized that the bartender movement actually began in the the financial district. We're in about Bowling Green subway station right now. That sort of area. We knew, we talked to Dave Warnich about this, and we got all the all the information back that we needed. We also knew that all those Irish immigrants settled in and around that area, so we knew we had an area. And then it was literally Wikipedia. We looked up Wikipedia, Irish, New York names, 1850s, 60s, and one name that came up that struck a, a chord with us was the Dead Rabbit. We didn't even know what a Dead Rabbit was. We didn't even know it was a gang. We'd, we'd probably watched that film, Martin Scorsese's film, a hundred times and hadn't <laughs> even picked that up. And um, we thought, right, that name sounds like a pub. The Dead Rabbit sounds like yeah. a pub. And uh, that, that's basically, it started literally Wikipedia is where we got the name from. And the whole <laughs> gang part and that sort of thing came afterwards. But uh, we were looking for something that would bring it all together. Um, we knew we had an area. We knew we had a, we knew we had a, a concept. And then the, the defining thing was literally... One person, a guy called, uh, when we looked into the whole history of the Dead Rabbits, we realized there was a guy, their leader was a guy called John Morrissey, one-time leader. And he was the guy that would have came through, not not when the famine was happening, he was before the famine, but he came through South Street Seaport as a, no, no, he didn't even come through, he would have, he came, he basically settled in Canada and came down to New York. But the thing is, he would have been based around the docks, um, the waterfront, and um, he became one of the most powerful figures in New York. He became a very, very good friend of Jerry Thomas. He owned all the bar. He owned a lot of bars and gambling houses on Broadway. Um, as far as I know, he was uh, he was an investor in Jerry, one of Jerry Thomas's bars. He sold the bar to Jerry Thomas. They became very very close. So this one character um, crossed the bridge. He was the guy that that made the relation from the immigrant to the um, to the gentleman society that was taking place in Broadway. So we knew we had a character. We knew we had a, an identity, and the rest is history. He was also a badass. A badass. <laughs> Is his nickname Old Smoke? Old Smoke, yeah. That's yeah. I, I, people just you don't want to hear the nicknames people give me, but they're not cool as that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, and like I, I think that uh, you really tapped into something historically that no one has done, you know, and it's a really like I said, a really badass dude and uh, some really badass history. Um, I think one of the things that's really cool about the place too is like first of all the menu that your new menu that came out uh, a couple months ago is just it's one of the most beautiful. It's a book. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a it's a graphic novel. And uh, who's the artist who did that? Uh, Mark Rennell from uh, he, he's underneath our creative team, uh, Drinksology in Belfast. So we give everything to Drinksology, and they they sorted all the the artwork for us. Nice. Yeah, I mean, like, and it tells a story about. It beautifully tells a story in like the uh, about uh, Old Smoke John Morsey, and it divides each of those pages uh, to different parts of the story into different types of drinks, mm-hmm. like you know different categories of drinks. But it's great, like it, like almost like brings a tear to my eye just because it's uh, like when I look at the book, uh, just because it's such a well thought out menu, but also like the story is. Uh, it's really cool, you know. It's a really cool story that you know no one's seen, and like that's exactly like what you were saying. You know, you were trying to find, you're trying to put, and you have very successfully put a bar together that no one's seen before. And you know, here in the states, it's when I before you guys uh, opened the Dead Rabbits, like if I were going to an Irish bar, I was like, you know, Guinness and and Jameson, uh, and that's it's basically the extent of it. But you guys have really crushed it, like on the uh, uh, the downstairs pub. You have so many Irish whiskeys that I know you guys. I was like, "Can I get some Green Spot?" And you're like, "Not yet." <laughs> Daniel was. We, we can get it now. We yeah, now it. now it's in the yeah. yeah. 
But uh, I remember being like, oh my god, all these whiskeys. Like, uh-huh. We've got, at the minute, in the bar, we've got 110 bottles, but we are going to have about another 15 coming in the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, and like a lot, a lot of it's not for sale, but we give it out to the right people. Right. You know? Like yourself. We'll, we'll, talk about that. we'll talk about that after the show. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, up until this point, people knew like Tullamore Powers, and Jameson. You know, mm-hmm. Bushmills, I guess. There's probably, probably one more that I'm missing. Uh, but, I mean, probably there's probably a dusty bottle of Middleton in there somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. In any Irish bar in the United States, that's the extent of it. And you guys have really taken it to the next level. And especially, I don't know, this is kind of sidetracking, but, like, especially with American whiskeys becoming so, like, hard to get because they're, like, running out. It's, like, it's awesome to open the eyes of uh, the guests to this entire huge selection of whiskey that we had never really seen before. Mm -hmm. And you're, like, doing... He's doing God's work, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's a wonderful selection, and of course you've got the the one of the best Irish coffees. I, that, do, do do you think of the Irish coffee as an Irish drink or an American drink? Because it was popularized here in San Francisco. That's that's what I was talking about in my um, a few minutes ago. That it was like the merchant was invented in Belfast, but it was sort of made famous in America, and it's the same with the Irish coffee. I mean, I was in Bonavista four days ago and the rate that they were knocking out those Irish coffees and the amount of Irish coffees that were knocking out I mean you just can't compete with that you know it's insane you know I mean I think we do a better Irish coffee but I think they do far more you know yeah it's you know what I'm I'm just going to say this <laughs> um, I think I think I'm sorry I, I don't know if I'm going to be allowed at Tales of Cocktail again for saying this but I, I think I make a better Sazerac than I've been able to find in you know, <laughs> the Monteleone which is but you know there's something about having a Sazerac yeah. at the Monteleone, you know, or a Vucare for that matter, yeah. you know. But uh, I'm going to get blacklisted for saying <laughs> that. But you know what I'm saying? There's like, there's nostalgia in like having the drink at the place. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You guys, well, go back to the cocktail thing. You guys, I had Frankie Marshall on a month or so ago, and uh, like a month and a half, two months ago, actually. And, uh, she, I was like asking her, I was like, dude, how does how is it working at the Dead Rabbit? Like, how many cheater bottles do you have mm-hmm. in your well? And she's like, oh, I don't know, like ninety or a hundred, like Dasher bottles. Like, that's insane, man. So, like, so I mean, we're, we're like I told you, this show goes by yeah. very quickly. But uh, <laughs> I mean, like, how do you? I don't even know how you train for that. <laughs> and when we set the bar up, um, the cocktail bar upstairs cost an awful lot of money um, to set up. But when we set it up, we set it up because as part of our signature and our DNA is having large cocktail menus and having a, a cocktail menu that tells a story. Um, so the stations and everything was built for that. Um, so we always knew from the, the get-go that it was going to be, I think at the minute there's 300 teeter bottles. Wow. And that's irrespective of the speed reels and, and the back bar. Um, and it just seems to keep getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> But uh, it's we we're, we've been very fortunate. Now we're coming into a bit of change now with a bartender moving back home to open his own bar and one other person moving on. But we've had more or less the same team since we've opened. Um, so we've been very fortunate that way. But but change is is always good. But it will it does take it does take about a month or two months to, to be in the bar all the time to kind of really suss it out and, and get it. And even if I go away for a week and I come back and get behind the bar. There's times where I'm I'm scratching my head and I don't know where, where I'm going, but it it just takes you to be there a lot to to get used to it. 
Well, I'm sure you guys are there all the time anyway, so... <laughs> when, we're, when, we're, when we're in the country, we're there yeah. all the time. But yeah. one, of the, one of the big things that... You're talking about successes. One of the big things that makes the Dead Rabbit Cox Football a success is the team we have, for mm-hmm. sure. They're, you couldn't have wanted a better opening team. It's, you couldn't have dreamt of a better opening yeah. team. And I want to make that very clear. Yeah. Very clear. Yeah, I mean, and every time I've been there, uh, which I feel like I've been there quite a bit, but it's still never enough, you know? It's one of my favorite places to go. Um, I... I, it's just nothing but hospitality, you know, mm-hmm. from the, the time you sit down and you get a little punch of, uh, punch glass, yeah. you know, uh, like a moose, a moose booze, as someone yeah. said. That's a big uh, part of our ethos above everything else yeah. is, is the hospitality. Um, yeah. and, and all of our staff have it. We had issues with one or two people before, but we're, when we hire, we're, we're hiring personality and, and hosp- people who are driven towards hospitality. It's not We don't care if you've won... Head our bartender of the year fourteen times in a row. It's, we care about if you're a nice person or not. So, you know, no one ever remembers the bartender that gave him a bad drink. Mm-hmm. Even it could be the greatest drink that you ever had in the world, but uh, if you were a, an asshole, then you'll yeah. never remember that drink. But yeah. you could pour me a beer and a shot, and if you're you're awesome, I'm coming back to see you, and I'll yeah. always remember you. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. And. You guys have great cocktails and great beers and, and great whiskeys, <laughs> so that's why I come back, man. Um, I guess we're we're at the end of the show, so uh, uh, the website is Dead Rabbit NYC, mm-hmm. or is it the Dead Rabbit NYC? Oh, just a- DeadRabbitNYC.com. Cool. Everyone, I I strongly suggest you go to this bar if you haven't been before. I mean, you've probably read about it a billion times, but you should definitely go. It's on Water and Broad. You can't get more downtown than that, and you can't get better than the Dead Rabbit. So thanks, Sean and Jack. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to have you on the show, and can't wait to see you at the Dead Rabbit. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime. My pleasure. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week when, actually, we're going to be doing a little derby show. Post derby show. <laughs> All right, cheers. Rhythm and blues at Sam. It's gonna get you Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.